Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Allegory Story. My name is Tegan Aline. My name is Melanie Nevis. And okay, today's a doozy. <laughs> today's a day already. Today's it's a been day. A, it's been a day, and today on this day, we're gonna <laughs> talk. We're gonna talk about my favorite fairy tale of all time, <laughs> uh, which is a lie because it's actually like the opposite. The of worst that. one. Oh, gosh. <sighs> we're talking about Rumpelstiltskin today. Um, and why I chose to like kind of like lead us through this one, I don't fucking know. Uh, because oh, actually, you said you wanted to like uh, delve into your fear, like face a fear <laughs> of him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. What a what a little bitch. Uh, I don't know if I'm talking about myself or him right now. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I. I was talking to Mel before we got started and, and we've been just talking about the day and how crazy it is. And I, this is, this is a real long way around, but just trust me, follow me. <laughs> and we were talking about um, blood and like getting, getting blood tests and getting like blood drawn. And um, <laughs> she was telling me that there was once a time well, why don't you say? <laughs> yes, it's a very traumatic incident. Um, I cannot look away when people draw my blood. I know a lot of people look away, uh, and I completely understand why. And I wish I was one of those people. But when I was a child, uh, I had obviously small veins. I still do have small veins, and the person who was trying to draw my blood had difficulty finding exactly where to put the needle. So they were there. And I guess when they did insert the needle, it really hurt because they didn't put it in the right spot and my arm jerked and I just saw my blood spurt everywhere. Yeah. It uh, hit their face a little, yeah. it hit their clothes. Um, it was a traumatic incident. Yeah. Well, she's telling me this story. I'm like, holy shit, that happened to me as well. Except I didn't see it because my mom was like holding my face and was like, walk away. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I didn't see it. But basically, I had my hand in a fist and I never released it. And so the needle shot out of my arm and like blood splurted. And everybody in the background was like, oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> so what the fuck does this have to do with Rumpelstiltskin? Nothing really except, <laughs> except. It was at this particular time in my life where I was living, I'm from Hamilton, Ontario originally, and my mom and I were living, I don't know if anybody from Hamilton will ever listen to this, but like we were living on Concession Street, if anybody knows where that is. I was in like, I think grade one or grade two. So how old are you when you're in grade one, grade two? Um, I think you're probably six, seven, six to eight, let's say. Okay, so yeah, I was six to eight. And this was also the era of when I received my my Rumpelstiltskin storybook, or at least the era where I came to be aware that we owned it. And it's so weird that we were just like talking about all of this stuff and like, like trauma and like <laughs> the weird growing pains because this story terrified me as a child. And like the doctors, they're not connected, but it's weird how like the brain kind of puts them beside each other because the doctor's office was just down the street from my apartment, which in my mind, they kind of feel like they were right beside each other. And mm -hmm. um, I, at the time where I was going through all of these blood tests, 
and things like that. Cause I was telling Mel, I was, um, I had, what was it? I was pre like, I had precocious puberty, precocious puberty or whatever. I was developing like way too young. So they were giving me like lots of needles and drugs and fun stuff. And, um, and I also had this like weird, bizarre fear around the Rumpelstiltskin story. And I'm just like, was that transference? Like, I don't even, I don't know, probably not, but it was just happening at the same time. Those two things were like happening at the same time. So in my mind, I thought it was kind of weird that we were just talking about that right now. And I just have this like memory flash of being at the doctor and being like, wait a minute, this is at the same time I was asking my mom. I literally asked my mom to get rid of our Rumpelstiltskin book because I found it terrifying. And it is I, terrifying. I looked today <laughs> online for the book that I had and I didn't find it because like I still have pictures from that book in my brain. And to this day, like if you, if I'm walking out at night, especially in a city, especially like in North America, and I see a tree that has like a lamppost inside, the oh, way no. that that lamppost lights up the tree scares me because it reminds oh, me of Rumpelstiltskin. Cause I used to have nightmares of him like sitting on those trees and like telling me he was going to take me away from my mom. Mm-hmm. Like this, this was, this is like my, my, no- my, did night- your mom, my nightmare origin story. Yeah. Did your mom get rid of the book or is it still at your house in Hamilton somewhere? Oh, I, I wish we still had it. I, no, she got rid of it. She totally, she was, she did. Okay. She was totally cool and she respected like my feelings on it. And she, I think for her, it was kind of weird, like why I particularly got so scared about this story, but it really frightened me as a kid. And like I said, I, for some reason, there was something about, the character of Rumpelstiltskin that made me so uncomfortable. Like I said, I would have Mm -hmm. nightmares. I would have nightmares about him, like trying to abduct my mother, like take my mother from me and stuff like this when I was a kid. I think that that's a real fear a lot of kids probably have is the fear of their parents leaving them. And I think that that's why a lot of kids, um, you know, if, parents want a weekend away or something and they're dropped off with a relative they like scream bloody murder until they actually get used to it and realize that their parents are coming back because there's just this inherent fear that our caregivers are leaving us and we don't know what that means right when you're a kid you just have no idea you're like why why (laughs) so in the story of Rumpelstiltskin it's the opposite he essentially takes a baby away from its Mm -hmm. mother but I guess I was looking at it through like a first person lens. So I don't know. Anyways, all this to say it, it, it was, like I said, it was a long way around, but it was a segue into my conversation around Rumpelstiltskin. Cause like I said, this story really gives me the ick. It gives me like the greatest ick that I've ever had in my life. And I am fucking 37 years old and still talking about it. Still thinking <laughs> while I was doing the research for this Mel, I was like, Oh, it was it was an ouchie huh so uncomfortable I was cringing Mm. so hard but I mean with that being said I am still an adult so I'm like okay what the fuck is it that is making me cringe and I wanted to kind of dissect that so um we'll get back around to that later okay I'm I'm intrigued (laughs) I want to know because I I also remember as a kid being terrified and uncomfortable with you do 
the notion. Yeah, absolutely. It's creepy. Like, why does this creature want a firstborn, generally a daughter if possible? Yeah. There's a creep factor. So when was the first time you heard this story? Probably around the same time as you. It probably would have been like first or second grade. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe we should start probably with the, let's retell the story. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to (laughs) summarize, obviously, because I don't want to like, well, as I do. Anyway. So, okay. Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) So important things to note is that it starts off with a miller and his daughter. And the miller Mm -hmm. is basically a guy who takes grain and turns it into flour. So that's, Mm -hmm. imagine those old like grain silos where they would like churn everything and then they make it into flour. The stone, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they can like make bread and stuff. So this guy, I don't know what possessed him, but we'll probably find out. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Um, (laughs) This guy starts bragging. (laughs) (laughs) Starts bragging to the king that he has a really beautiful daughter who's just like super good at taking straw and spinning it into gold. And the the king is like, oh, really? That's so interesting. I would be interested to meet her. Like bring her to the castle. I'm sure you would. Yeah. Jesus. And if you, if you, I know again, here we go with the woman just literally like is complacent and has nothing to do, but be the pawn of these fucking men in this story. Anyway, (laughs) so she's, she's taken to the castle and she's put, she's thrust into a, like a place that's just filled with straw, like filled to the rafters with straw. And the king is like, I want you to spin all of this into gold overnight. And if you do it, maybe like I'll introduce you to the king or I'll introduce you to the prince. You can get married or she marries the king or something like that, whatever. She's going to marry royalty if she can do this. So she's sitting there. (laughs) Different times. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So she is sitting there and she is crying because she doesn't know what to do. And um, all of a sudden, this little, I'm going to use the term imp because, like, that's kind of, like, the term they use in the story. So think, like, yep, I don't know, like, there's so many different ways to think of, like, magical little creatures like elves and, and like, yeah. gnomes. I tend to like think of Rumpel's still skin as goblin-esque goblin yeah yeah okay yeah. so imagine a goblin-esque uh <laughs> little man <laughs> he comes in and he's got like a little shrill like high-pitched voice and he basically tells her he's he's gonna do it he's gonna like spin all of this straw into gold and he I think he tells her if if he does it if he can do it for her he is he wants something in return so he like spins all the stuff and it's all turned to gold and the king comes the next day and he's like super happy yeah that's right he doesn't tell her right away he just spins it like he's being helpful Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm, he just mm -hmm. leaves and then the king comes in is like wow this is so great here's some more here's some more fucking straw fucking asshole (laughs) do it again (laughs) so she's like holy fuck 
that was like a like a random happenstance that this little goblin dude like came in and now what am I gonna do so she is again crying in a room full of straw and Rumpelstiltskin comes back and he says okay I'll do it for you again but you have to give me something and she's like what and he's like you have to give me your firstborn or no wait he doesn't tell her right away he's like you just have to give me something she's like okay I'll give you whatever you want you know because she's thinking like it's gonna be money or something like this yeah so he spins all the straw again into gold and she's like so happy and then he turns around and he tells her okay like when you marry the king or prince or whoever and you have your firstborn that baby is mine and she's like you want my baby? <laughs> you want my <Yes>. baby? <laughs> so basically, she, so you, I mean, if we know anything about princesses, it's like the minute they get married, they're like, okay, it's time to pop out babies. Sure. So she ends up marrying the king. And in this whole time, she's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to have a baby. And then this like creature is going to come for my baby. Yeah. So she's super stressed. <laughs> I'm surprised she was even able to conceive, actually, because that's a really weird thing to be stressed out about. Um, so she gets married and now and then she gets pregnant and she has a baby. And when the baby is born, so like obviously there's like months, maybe even years in between all of this, Rumpelstiltskin comes back and he's like, I want the baby. And she's like, I don't want to give you the baby. It's mine. <laughs> I can't give you my <laughs> child. And he's like, and she's like, there's got to be something I can do. Like, here, you can have basically all the money in the world. He's like, I spin gold out of straw. I don't need money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, give yeah. me, I want the baby. And she's like, no, I can't do it. Like, anything else. And he's like, okay, fine. I won't take the baby if you tell me what my name is. Mm-hmm. And she realizes this whole time she has had no idea like who he is, what he is, what his name is. So I think he gives her some, there's different variations where he gives her three tries over a period of like three days. So she gets like nine tries to like guess it right. And she keeps guessing it wrong. And there's other ones where she's just like left to figure out what his name is. And, And I think in the most classical tales, she's like listing off all of these names. Are you this? Are you that? Are you this? Are you that? And he's like, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally she gets clever and she sends, or actually she decides to leave the castle and she goes and she sneaks into the enchanted forest and she's Mm -hmm. looking around. And as she sneaks out, she finds Rumpelstiltskin in the forest, sitting on a fire, riding a wooden spoon around the (laughs) fire, and he's singing a song. He's basically singing a song because he's excited. He's going to get this baby, and then he's singing a song about the fact that he's going to get this baby because nobody will know that his name is Rumpelstiltskin. So he says his name in the song, and now the queen knows what it is. So when he returns... Mm -hmm to catch to get the baby once and for all she like kind of like dangles him out on the line and is like oh is it this is it that whatever and then finally she says is it Rumpelstiltskin and this guy just 
loses his shit and he freaks out and he has a full on temper tantrum, like kicking and screaming and jumping, saying like the devil told you, the devil told you, and he like gets really, really angry <laughs> and, and he bails and he leaves because he's, he's now lost and he's really mad about it. And yeah, like, you take that up with the devil, Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that is the classical tale of Rumpelstiltskin. The Brothers Grimm version, actually. And I think, mm-hmm. again, like we've found when we've been talking about these stories that there's different variations of the Brother Gr- Brothers Grimm stories. And there's some other yeah. variations from the past as well. But that's kind of like the classically known one. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was young, there was, there is a really, one thing I wanted to mention about this story is that if you're interested in hearing it like properly... <laughs> Not in in the way I told it, (laughs) which was with a bit of sarcasm because, you know, like I hate the story. Um, You can actually Google it on and go on YouTube. There is somebody that has done a retelling of Rumpelstiltskin on YouTube and they use the book that was written. So he's, he writes the book, but he's retelling it the Brothers Grimm way, but he also does all the illustrations for it. And oh, I think nice. his name is Paul O. Zielinski. And this is probably one of the most beautifully illustrated versions of this story. So they show all the illustrations of this story and they read the story and they read, read it in character voices. So <laughs> that's how I started my day. I'm intrigued. <laughs> Definitely go check that video out. So, of course, like all of our stories, uh, there's multitudes of variations and different versions of this story. But it's safe to say that you can find some version of a story with a little goblin type creature trying to steal babies. And like many a culture, <laughs> many mm-hmm. a culture across the, across yeah. the board. Um, there are a few universities that have like dug into this story and feel like you could date this story back 4,000 years. Whoa. Finding reference to it in a Roman story. So, I mean, like, this story, like many of the other ones, goes back. But this is almost, like, older than most of the ones we've covered some so far. Even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find versions of this in England, Ireland, Scotland, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Russia, Czech Republic, Croatia, Hungary... And there's even versions of it in Japan, in oh, interesting, yeah, in South America, what, and there's Arabic versions too. What is it about getting a firstborn child? Like, why do you think that has pervaded several cultures? Like, what? Why? <laughs> so people can correct what? me if I'm wrong on this, but there's something about a firstborn child being like passing something down like getting I think there was like a belief at some point that people thought they would get more power or more Mm -hmm. of like the hereditary strength you know if you look at it in a mystical sense like let's say everybody's Mm -hmm. magic they would get more magic or like let's say hereditary sense they would get stronger genes than uh than the other children so there's it's the firstborn. I think also there's probably something to do with the fact that like for most of history up until recently, people would like put their firstborns on like a, a bizarre, I'm an only child. So I don't really know about this, but there's like this pedestal <laughs> thing with, with children from like big families. Mm-hmm. 
And the yeah. first child's kind of always looked at as this like glorious child in a lot of ways. So you're like put on a pedestal. Yeah. So I think there might be, I would imagine there's a connection to that there. Um, but but one of the things that I thought was interesting is at least looking at the European side of all of these stories, which is kind of like what I know I could potentially talk about. Um, mm-hmm. one, what is one of the things that England, Ireland, Scotland, Denmark, Finland, Iceland have in common? Let's say Croatia, Hungary, Czech Republic too, and Russia even. What, what, do you, what is one thing in their folklore that they have in common? We all believe in like elves and mystical beings. Yeah, exactly. They believe in the little mystical beings. Yeah, the little mystical beings. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I thought that it was quite interesting that there was like, or no surprise in some ways that there are versions of this, like across everything, you know? That, yeah. Yeah. And what's up with the dad? Like here, like I think I always really get angry at the dad because- Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. you you don't tell someone that your daughter spins gold. Like what? What are you crazy? And I you know, he probably thought that he was doing his daughter a favor because he's gaining favor with the king and can potentially grant her a better future, but she has to also suffer for that future. And who's this asshole of a king who's like, "But you have to do it all in one night." It's not enough that she does it. She has to do it rapidly. Like, I off. promise you, I promise <laughs> you, we are going to dissect this. And okay. the point of view that I found on this was quite frankly, really interesting and bizarre. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. They're stone cold dicks, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I think even the, the story is meant to portray them in that way too, though. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, before we get to that, I want to just cover one more thing in relation to the history and context of the story. Um, Sure. Because, you know, I don't do it on purpose. I just find it and it makes sense there or it's interesting. There is a related to France. Yeah, there's a little bit of French (laughs) history, but it's really small. It's really small. I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but there was a French version of this book written by a woman. Oh gosh, let me pray that I can pronounce this. Mademoiselle. You can do it. Lerite. Lerite. I think I might be butchering that. But anyways, so she wrote a book called Rigda Rigdon. And this is the French version of the story of, um, of, of Rumpelstiltskin. So why is this interesting? Well, because this woman was a salonerie. And apparently, I just learned this word today. A salonery was, I think that's so North American salonery. That's okay. Salonery. First of all, in France, they put IE on the end or this idea, E on the end of everything, like patisserie, boulangerie, uh, like everything like that. So salonery, what I thought was so interesting about this is a person that was like a salonerie was a person who used to put on salon parties so basically parties where everybody would come and the main activity that they would do was they would retell stories basically like stories of grandeur about valiant knights and like this and that so this woman along with a few other female writers in France 
yeah, 17th century, were doing this and they were, and they, because earlier in our series, we've kind of talked about Charles Perrault and his influence on, on fairy tales and how a lot, a lot of people would credit him with creating like the first set of fairy tales. But actually Mm -hmm. this woman was his niece. And she published her first fairy tale before he wrote, started writing fairy tales. And it was her and this other group of women that started making, like, imagine you and I come from a background of theme parties. They were making like these theme parties based on these stories. Yeah. That's really cool. And, but, but Perrault is the one who became much more well-known. Well, So she wrote a version of this story of Rumpelstiltskin and she Mm -hmm. was closely associated with other well-known female writers and other female Solanerie women of that time. Mm -hmm. So basically my sense of it is, is that it might even be the way he was introduced into the fairy tales and also really liked it and really liked this culture and saw it as something that could be used and started creating like his version of all these fairy tales. And because he was the secretary to the minister, he was in a note. He was, she was noble as well. She was an aristocrat, of course. Yeah. They would have to be. Yeah. Yeah, She was his niece, but um, he he was still a man. Right. Yes. in, In a way, I just kind of like picture one of these French parties where these women are telling these stories and then some man in a powdered wig comes up and is like, (laughs) I see potential in this like I feel like we've seen this happen in history time and time again where women are like birthing like a creative thing and then men are like I can use this (laughs) I'm just gonna snatch that market it to women and profit from the female's idea yeah let me profit from the female's idea and market it to women so that they also pay me yes yeah exactly (laughs) Thanks, patriarchy. Yeah, (laughs) thanks, patriarchy. Yeah, and we've talked about how, um, like, it's a speculative thing, but we've also talked about how you, at the time of what France was going through leading up to the revolution, um, you could use these types of stories that were becoming really popular to, like, put messages to people like on how to behave and how to act. And that's been like a huge thing that stories actually do for people throughout history. So it's not to Mm -hmm. say he was not doing anything that hadn't been done before, but he was doing it in an extra particular way. And he, he was, um, he was a bourgeois, you know what I mean? So obviously he thought on the side of wealth and, and riches and things like that. So anyways, I just thought it was very, very interesting that this woman turns out to be his niece and that's really part of these group of women that are throwing these parties that we had kind of like alluded to in our past podcast but I got to learn a little bit more about them today so that's all I'll say on the French history of it but I just thought it was really I I like that and that's that is interesting and like you wanted I mean you wanted to maybe delve more into Charles Perrault but this this chick sounds much more interesting. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what we can find on her. Unfortunately, like most things, she wasn't as known as he was. So but... no, so like she's she's hidden. Well, who knows? Lost of time. We'll see. I think it's another other important thing in this particular story to kind of examine 
the name Rumpelstiltskin because Mm -hmm. that's what the whole story is about is his name. Like everything is kind of positioned on knowing this guy's name. Mm -hmm. So when you look at this story, the story, its original name would be, I can't pronounce it, but its original title would be in German, right? Because the most famous version of the story is the Grimm's brothers story. And that was, uh, they are German brothers. So, um, but when you break down what the name literally translates to, it translates to little rattle stilts. And I thought this was really interesting because a stilt, do you know what like a stilt is? I know what a stilt walker is. Okay, so like a stilt, <laughs> so a stilt, like imagine stilts, like people stand on that make them really tall. Uh huh. Or yeah. okay, so it's kind of like that. It's a piece of wood, and original, like in this context, it's a piece of wood that holds up houses. You know, so you have your frame, but you oh. have the stilts that kind of like hold right. up the frame of the house. Okay. Yes. The little rattle yeah, yeah. stilts refers to things that like refers to something that's like shaking the stilts you know what I mean okay which refers to like spirits and like little house little house spirits mischievous poltergeists that would like shake houses and like scare people Okay, so yeah, much more sinister because I was thinking like prankster at first, like Loki or something. Yeah, but no, this it's is a little more sinister than that. Yeah, so there are a lot of like uh, different stories and cultures a- across the world where they believe in like these like little mischievous house spirits. I think we see different versions of that. In a, in, but it's in not the fae, like fairies are different not necessarily or... called the fae no it's really because the okay. like fairies really kind of you know you think of scotland and ireland particularly in relation to fairies but um but yeah it's more about this idea of like little pest like think of little pesky spirits that they're kind of mischievous but they can also cause trouble and they can scare people they can definitely scare people so mm-hmm. That's what the name actually means. And I realized even the way that we write it, it says rumple. Rumple is like the rattling. Stilt. Yeah. Stilt. It's even in the name. Yeah. Stilts. Yeah. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, And I've heard a lot of stories growing up about like these little evil kind of um, house spirits. So this is the thing about those legends. Those legends usually come around to this idea that like in order to be able to control the spirit, what do you, okay, wait, first, what do you think they have to do in order to be able to control the spirit? Let's say you're at home, you have a poltergeist, you have somebody shaking your house, scaring you, like throwing book things off bookshelves. It's a little pesky house spirit. What do you have to do to control it? Okay. We've already well, talked about start- it. I'll give you that hint. We've already talked about it. Mm. Well, then apparently I need to give it my firstborn child. <laughs> no, but you're so warm. <laughs> um, what is? Oh, she I need do? to know its name. Yes, I need to. I need to know its name. So that is usually the treatment of like how to be able to control one of these spirits is you have to know who you're dealing with, and that right. really okay. boils into some like esoteric stuff. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, 
You need to know who you're calling upon. Well, this is the thing, right? And I think I've mentioned it on here before that I have like a big past history with like esoteric stuff. I studied witchcraft for a really long time. I don't necessarily like follow practices in that anymore, but I do like watch and listen to like a lot of people who do still. And um, there are some really interesting creators out on the internet right now that talk about like working with like demons, not in the Catholic sense of a word of a demon. Demon means different things to a lot of different people. Yeah. But essentially like working with spirits and stuff. And this concept of the name is really, really important. Knowing the name and knowing how to pronunciate the name properly, you know, like that's a really important I wonder... Okay, so I have this book right behind me. So I'm just going to check it really quickly because it's the Encyclopedia of Spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and yeah. I and I, still I, actually, I actually referenced one of her books. I read one of her books today. Uh, I have the Encyclopedia oh, of nice. Magic. And nice. that's where we're going next, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, keep talking. I'm just going to see if there's a Rumpelstiltskin thing like if it would be qualified as a spirit or not I wonder if she would her so keep talking yeah because her take (laughs) on things is really really interesting and it's kind of what I wanted to segue to next and we keep saying her it's uh Judica Eel is that how you would say her name I think so but yeah Judica Eel I don't know how you would pronounce her name. She writes a lot. She like writes a lot of um, esoteric uh, encyclopedias and guidebooks and things like that. And I think like, for example, I watched the new, uh, the reboot of Sabrina. And I was like, I think they're referencing this witchcraft encyclopedia of hers, like through the whole show. Oh yeah. (laughs) Just based on like what's in her book, based on what's on the show. I've read a lot of her books and she has a really interesting way of talking about all these things. And like I said, I kind of like take everything with a grain of salt, especially when we're talking about esoteric things, like especially out in the digital world, it can get like really heavy. Mm -hmm. So we have to take everything with a sense of, there's a perspective, there's a take, you can take what you want and leave what you don't want really when it comes to all of this stuff. Agreed. Um, Because we're just kind of going through what it means to different people. But what's really interesting is her take on it um, really doesn't center, like from what I read, the book I have is the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft. So what I read about this story wasn't related to Rumpelstiltskin necessarily, but it was related to the Millers who turned the wheat into flour. Okay. Because, and this is going to kind of circle back around to what you were saying about the father. Why would he tell the king? Like, why would he do this stuff? So imagine a medieval era. If you do reading on different roles of people in society, you'll hear a lot of times that um, the iron workers were considered like almost like high wizards or not like high wizards they wouldn't call them alchemists they wouldn't call them high wizards they would call them like a high like they could be 
compared to or considered by esoteric people that follow esoteric lore, they could be considered like high priests because okay. iron mm-hmm. is like considered the lifeblood of the earth. Okay. Right. So, and I think that even might be another take from one of Judica's books, actually. So in this case, they're not working with the same material, but they are alchemizing in a similar way. So they're taking something that is one thing and transitioning it to another form, which is turning the wheat into flour. So in my mind, the way I see it is like, think of them like kitchen witches. (laughs) You know what I mean? Working with like ingredients and like turning it into something else. So in this perspective, the grain is also, and the millers are also supposed to be considered magical people and what they're doing is they're turning something like with with the help of their their mill they're turning something and it's supposed to signify that they have a lot of power and a lot of magic so i think interesting what the this perspective kind of says is that or feels or indicates i guess is that the father is a powerful magician And nobody really necessarily knows or this isn't important or whatever. And he is actually, when he sees the king, he's he's trying to brag about his position. Like that he's more powerful Mm. than the king may look at him. And so by him saying... a good idea. Yeah, by him saying his daughter can spin straw into gold, he's kind of trying to show that he's so powerful that his magic is kind of like transferred to his daughter and that's why she's able to to do these things and but you can also look at this story from like a magical standpoint because also you have to imagine like spinning straw into gold is quite a magical concept absolutely yes so the story ends up becoming about a magical woman who can control spirits a spirit because she knows his name (laughs) Well, I like that. Yeah. And when you, think, <laughs> when you think about it in this context, I mean, it doesn't change her position in the story, mm-hmm. but she, I guess even in the original story, she still does manage to um, win in the end. She yeah. manages to know his name, but I just thought it was a really interesting, like esoteric take on, on this story because it kind of shows like more connection between um between where people would even get the sense she would have an ability to do this like clearly people would believe in magic if you can believe that you can turn straw into gold and so on and so forth yeah and so at this time though there was still this fear of magic yet this woman all of a sudden is being portrayed then as like this magical creature who has the ability to control and evil or like sinister spirit so she is useful yeah so how does that play in with societal values at the time I guess I'm just a little bit thrown like so it does it doesn't because this is a okay because this is like a (laughs) modern perspective from an esoteric author you know what I mean yeah that's fair that's fair that's fair I like it though. She's connecting, she's connecting the dots saying like, okay, well, this is what like a Miller would have, would have been in an esoteric, like society at this time. 
but the story itself actually doesn't position the the girl as a magical woman necessarily in fact it kind of positions her as quite like an ordinary woman but there's still all of these remnants but she can still create gold out of straw and that is like that is she actually can't no she she never does he does no he does does. yeah 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 so i mean and and yeah but her dad obviously has this magical ability because otherwise why would he say it like, well, why that, does her father say something like this? It goes back to that whole part about him bragging to his, uh, to the king. He's basically trying to big himself up and make himself sound better. So like, who knows? Maybe it's a period of time where those things, like those p- people in those positions had value and then they start to mm-hmm. lose their value you know what I mean? Right. So he is still considering himself important and he wants to appear important. So that's why he's basically, it's, it's a story of, of ego <laughs> on, it on, is. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. the part of the father and stupidity on the part of the king, I guess. It's a very bizarre story. It's really, really interesting. It's a weird one. It's a really weird story. I do like the esoteric take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make me like the story overall. <laughs> but the, it's not I a good still... story. Like it's a it no. story either way. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's an interesting perspective, you know, it but... is, it is. I really like that take on it. What I thought was really interesting as well, while I was looking all of this up was that apparently there's even something in our modern society that we call the Rumpelstiltskin principle. I've never heard of that. And like, like, <sighs> Let me put it this way. It's like used in business and marketing and management. So have you ever oh, met a person? <laughs> have you ever met a person that was like, hi, Mel, it's really nice to meet you. And then they're like talking to you about something that they have or they want to sell you. And they're like, thanks so much for that question, Mel. It was really, really good. And they keep repeating your name like over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that is the rubble stillskin principle. <laughs> interesting so it's the con like in our modern structures it's like the concept of using someone's name to kind of make them feel like you know like you're confident in what you're Special. doing like you know <laughs> them like that they're yeah yeah, yeah. you make it, you yeah you feel that sense of connection if someone repeats your name so funny side antidote antidote yes antidote antidote anecdote anecdote Blech anecdote okay. <laughs> Funny little anecdote. yesterday I was having a meeting um, for the fashion brand that I work with and we were being introduced to a new product and the sales guy so we used uh, Google meets or like Google chats or whatever um, and I don't mm-hmm. use that much I usually only use it with my friends so when I first got on he was like hi Tegan and I was like hi and I was talking to him and he kept saying my name over and over and over again but he kept calling me Teagues. And I, at first I was like, oh, that's so funny that he called me Teagues. Sometimes I just meet people. They call me Teagues as the minute they know me. And like, it's usually an indication of like a person I'm going to get along quite well with. But he kept <laughs> seeing it like over and over and over again. And I was like. It's also a professional meeting where I'm like, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So at a certain point I was like, why does he keep calling me Teagues? Like he doesn't know me. What's going on? I'm so dumb. (laughs) I 
because then I realized, oh, we're on Google Meets, and I usually use this for friends, and that's what oh. my stupid name is at the bottom. Like, I put it there. I was like, how does he know people call me that? Why is he calling me this? Oh, my. I'm like, we have a bond. No, I just, it was on my screen, and of course, <laughs> all I can see on my screen is it says you. Like, that's you on the camera. You know what I mean? Oh, Yeah. You know, so I was like, I had no idea I had marked my name as Teague in there. I just thought it was really, really funny. funny. But he, but I, I mentioned it because he was doing the Rumpelstiltskin principle to me. He kept saying my name over and over and over to affirm he knew who I was. He was directing things at me. He was wanting me to feel assured in like the, the product we were looking at, which was a, a good product. So I like, I give it to him. You know what I mean? Um <laughs> You know, so I thought that was really interesting when I learned that today. I'm like, that's exactly what happened to me yesterday. Someone rumple still skinned me. <laughs> that's that's such a weird turn of phrase. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Someone rumple still skinned me. So like that is all of the conversation on the lighthearted side of this story. I don't know if there is a lighthearted take on this story all the way around. It just, I, I don't know. It's always made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and like I said, when I was doing the research today for it, I was looking through this storybook with these really nice illustrations in it. At, but looking at it as a 37-year-old woman, as opposed to a seven-year-old woman, Something really, really stuck out at me that I was like, I never noticed this in this way before, but now I have a question about it. You should, you know what? You should mm-hmm. like Google, just Google it. Google um, Rumpelstiltskin. Right now? Yeah. Do it. Because I want to, okay. I want to see if it sticks out to you too. Paul Ozelinski, I think it is. I like his hat. Okay. <laughs> Like, is there anything about this adaptation that kind of like sticks out to you as weird looking at him? Looking at Rumpelstiltskin? Well, he's got the big nose, which is like classically witchy, I mm. guess. Ah, he's got okay. some yeah. robes, which are more attributed to like magical creatures, like the long sleeves on his robes. I don't know. What's sticking out to you? Okay. So I'll tell you what stuck out to me. And, and obviously it's because I have already watched, I think it's because I've already watched some videos and I've read some conversations around this topic, but I couldn't help but look at Rumpelstiltskin and those in illustrations and see something that almost re- almost looks like anti-semitism oh interesting yeah okay so when i when i so first of all there's like been a really big conversation over the last couple of years about anti-semitism in fantasy right mm-hmm. and in fairy tales not just fairy tales but like even for example um harry potter is probably one of the best examples of that because Mm -hmm. in in the stories and I don't know if the storybooks represent the same as the films I didn't read the books sorry guys Harry Potter I was already like grown at that point sorry guys but um I've seen the movies and in the movies you know they always go um to the bank to like withdraw money and you see these Mm -hmm. like goblin type creatures and yes they are like they're coded like Jewish people like, so they have really big, long noses. They deal with money. 
they're the keepers of the gold. Oh, like the stereotypes that exist. Yes. Yes. They're coded like, yes, they're coded like the stereotypes. But a lot of people, a lot of people from Jewish communities have been coming forward and saying like, listen, there's so many references of us throughout history that kind of depict us in this way of like dealing with money, controlling things like that, um, being Mm -hmm. shady, being like greedy characters. And so when I, when you think of this story, a story where Rumpelstiltskin like spins straw into gold, and then you look at a book like that book that came out when we were young, um, the depiction of him, it, it, it matches. And I mean, like, yeah, um, Harry Potter is not necessarily like the only stories that have done that. Of course, we know J.K. Rowling has come out in the last couple of years as being awful <laughs> and being anti a lot of things, you know, yeah. and I, I don't yeah. necessarily think she did it with intention, but it just goes to show that this has been a, a, a character trope. For really, mm-hmm. really like many, many years. And we even there's even um, you know, there's even versions of it like I don't know if you ever read the book The Merchant of Venice, which was like one of Shakespeare's plays. No, I didn't read that one actually. So again, in that situation, Merchant of Venice, there's a Shylock who is basically a money lender and he lends money but what he wants back is literally like a pound of flesh and then they have to like go to court to figure out whether or not this guy gets his pound of flesh and in in the end I think he does but they're like basically there's always they're always positioning these people who lurk look a certain way that kind of do lend over to like historically like uh Jewish features and we also have to remember Mm -hmm. like like Jewish community has been massively displaced for like many, many years, like since biblical times. Thousands of years. Yeah. So today when I was looking through the Rumpelstiltskin illustrations, I couldn't help but get a little bit of like an anti-Semitic vibe. So I decided to do some digging and like see what I could find on that. If, if it was really made with an anti-Semitic take. So Basically, I think, you know, as we grow as a society, as we have more access to information and knowledge, we are able to like absorb knowledge in a different way and look at it from a different perspective. So I don't think pretty much what I found online, I found some fantastic dissertations and like essays written about this particular topic. But from what I've gathered, like most of everything is, is it's opinion based. There's no actual like yeah. Brothers Grimm didn't write this to be anti-Semitic, but there are anti-Semitic tropes and characters in it. And yeah. in a few of their stories, there are, you know, there's another story that's a Grimm's fairy tale called A Jew Among Thorns, for example. And I don't like saying that word like that way I'm just repeating the title Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of the stuff gets handed down and people may not even necessarily be aware um, but inevitably whether you mean for it to or not it changes your bias and your perception in the world yeah very well put I think like you know some people would say that there's no direct intention of anti-Semitism, but I think also there's a lot of people would say like, 
how can you look at certain stories and miss it? And that's kind mm-hmm. of the way I felt today when I was when I was looking at the story. I was like seeing it from a whole new light. And I started to question like, why was I scared of Rumpelstiltskin? Because to be honest with you, I think like part of what scared me was his look because he looked like menacing because his features mm-hmm. were sharp, you know, like they always kind of mm-hmm. draw goblins in like a sharp way. Yeah. But just kind yeah. of breaking that down in my mind that like that might be associated to something else or a, de- a depiction related to something else that I don't believe in that I was like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. And in a way, actually that did kind of like curb my fear around the whole, <laughs> the whole thing, because I was like, yeah, you know, it's just that weird switch that goes on That's in your brain when you realize you might've been absorbing this in a way that, that doesn't necessarily. No, that's really interesting. And and that's why it is so interesting to revisit some of these stories and challenge your perception of what it actually means. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I think probably the best, I don't know, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, of course, but like the best adaptation of Rumpelstiltskin has been in the freaking, um, what's that show called? There's like this show that was Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. With all the fairy tale creatures. I, yeah, I liked that interpretation of him a lot. So I, yeah. So it's so funny. Cause like part of what I was doing when I was researching was I always kind of look on social media. Cause sometimes there's some like really incredible, like storytellers on there. And like, if I ever find a story on there where I'm going to share the story, I would like credit the person. I didn't find anything on Rumpelstiltskin on social media, but what I did find was like pages and pages of homage to that Rumpelstiltskin from Once Upon a Time. So like, I think he is like the newly interpreted version. Mm -hmm. But you know, like his character's name is is also, it's Rumpelstiltskin, but in the, our world, he's Mr. Gold, right? So there's still like, there's still those like elements of, of could this be connected to something like that? Could it be connected to something that was like a bit, anti-Semitic I don't know that they were doing it on purpose but it could reflect you know like what we were talking about um often we're talking about what does it reflect in culture so yes it could it could it could be connected to that again it's like a interesting but it's quite interesting I thought Uh, yeah I've never thought about that before so I've actually been re-watching once upon a time I've been doing it for last like last little while now because I was like oh yeah we're talking about fairy tales like (laughs) this is a really interesting reimagining of fairy tales in a way that yeah kind of smooshes them all together but I've never really seen the show before and I think it's very interesting how they use him as the main character for all of like he kind of replaces the beast in the beauty and the beast story and he replaces mm-hmm. the yeah. alligator in the hook story and yep so on a yeah fourth, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it sorry <laughs> it is me. really good though Do yeah it is really it is really good and it's worth <laughs> I like watching. it yeah and I also think they well like this might be one of the earlier versions of people giving context to 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 villainous characters so he gets a lot of context mm-hmm. as to why he is the way he is which I thought was really 
It's really nice to see that because they're not just inherently evil a lot of the time. There's something that happened to them that pickled them. Yeah. Which is a very human characteristic, really. That should be like a takeaway from this. Like when reading fairy tales or lore or anything like that, I think fairy tales tend to be quite one-sided. It's quite typically Mm -hmm. like this is the bad person. This is the good person. But like, when we read these stories to our children or when they read them or anything like that, you should always be putting, proposing that question to them. Like, why would we just, why is this person bad? Cause there's never like a person doesn't start bad. And I think that's something that we kind of grew up with as children in mm-hmm. stories that people mm-hmm. just, they woke up today and they were like, Oh, I'm fucking evil. You know what I mean? <laughs> But actually it's like, and now we've kind of transitioned into storylines where we understand why they become evil because never, nobody's mm-hmm. ever like evil to start with. Um, but that's kind of what we grew up with. So I think it's like worth questioning, like why, why would this person yeah. be bad? And, and stories like Rumpelstiltskin give like new, con- I know they're fairy tales, but they don't give any context. No, they no, don't. they don't. but context most of them don't yeah they're meant to i i I like grasp trying to think of like what is the moral of this what's the moral of this story i feel like it's like to know spirits names but like is there more (laughs) it's just it's such a random one and we know we know that like not all stories follow that that arc right like they don't yeah, follow the no. classic storytelling arc that we know now. Um, so maybe there's not necessarily meant to be one. It's just uh, to warn you about spirits rattling your house. I guess. I don't know. Are <laughs> the perils of ego? <laughs> if your dad is trying to big you up for something that you don't do... <laughs> fucking run run (laughs) so okay we leave it without a moral without an ending just know rubble silkskin is a weird story it's a good story to ask yourself some questions about and don't be afraid of it the way i am i don't know what my problem is with it (laughs) it's it's just a weird story (laughs) it's just a weird story it is but i enjoyed it and i liked enjoying um, or I liked hearing some of the different interpretations that kind of came from it. Yeah. Anyways, I think that yeah we're I- wrapping it up. And this is like the last episode that we're doing on European fairy tales. And I think we're going to go into some spooky season stuff next because Halloween is upon us. Yay, that's going to be a good dive. Okay, so we'll be yeah. sharing more about that as, as things progress. But yeah, so... I hope you liked exploring Rumpelstiltskin with us. And at least now, if you come across him, you'll know his name. Exactly. Anyways, thanks so much, everyone. And, thanks so um, much. We'll see you next time. See you soon.